Hi, and welcome to the Tom VoiceOver Podcast. This is episode number six, and today we're going to talk about the Slater series, in particular, My Sister's Detective. This is the first book in the Slater Mysteries series. Before we dive into that, though, I know that many of you listening might be interested in voice acting, voiceover, or audiobook narration in particular. If you are interested, then I encourage you to do these three simple things. Number one, subscribe or follow this podcast. Because not only will I be talking about the audiobooks I've narrated, but I also explore what it takes to be a voice actor in general. And two, head on over to TomVoiceOver.com. There you'll find my demos, links to all the audiobooks I've narrated, but most importantly, you'll see my consultation section. I consult on the business side of audiobook narration, not the performance side, but I have sessions available where you and I can talk about what it takes to become a voice actor, and if voice acting might be right for you. Also, if you're already a voice actor, I can give you the lowdown on what it takes to be an audiobook narrator. Finally, I have over 500 TikTok videos. These are three minutes or less videos on voice acting. So look for me at Tom VoiceOver on TikTok to watch those and soak in as much knowledge as you can about voice acting. Okay, let's get on with the episode. I recorded My Sister's Detective um, three years ago, and it's written by T.J. Jones. T.J. is a great writer who builds relatable characters set into precarious circumstances. The dialogue is down to earth, and the action scenes are really well constructed and fun to narrate and, I hope, fun to listen to as well. He's also really good at world building the way that he describes the setting in which the characters move and work and live. Really good stuff. Eric Slater, who's the main character of My Sister's Detective, is an everyman. He's just a normal guy who just got out of the Navy, but he doesn't have the superhuman fighting skills that you might find in the Jason Bourne or Jack Reacher or Tom Keeler type of characters. He's just a little bit overweight, but he's acutely aware of the fact that his fitness level has dropped a little bit since he left the Navy, and um, he's working on it. He's capable and confident, though, and can hold his own in a fight, and he has the brains to solve the mysteries that he and his partner get into. There are four books in this series, and I've narrated each one. Uh, There's a box set, a collection, available with all four audiobooks in it. So if you're interested in getting this box set, uh, shoot me an email at tomvoiceover at gmail.com and ask for a code for the Slater box set. And if I have any left, I'll get one over to you right away. Um, You need to put Slater... S-L-A-T-E-R box set in the subject line, though, so I can sort my emails properly and make sure that I get you that code. Um, I only have a limited number of these, so if you're listening to this podcast uh, in 2025, uh, there's a good chance I don't, but email me anyway, and I'll have another code for another book that I've done that I can shoot your way um, anyway. Here's the audible blurb on this audiobook, which does a better job summarizing it than I can by trying to wing it. His best friend's been murdered. An old flame needs his help. And her little sister has definitely grown up. Eric Slater has a lot to sort out. Mystery, murder, and romance on the Florida coast. A wry tale of intrigue, deception, and two people that can't help falling in love. Point Road, home of the obscenely wealthy and beautiful Jeffrey's sisters. Eric Slater returns from the Navy to find out that his childhood friend may have been murdered. Angela Jeffries begs him to investigate, and Maggie, the little sister he barely remembers, wants to help. It turns out the stunning redhead is one hell of an investigator. As their feelings turn romantic, Maggie and Slater follow a trail of deception and murder, hoping to prove their dead friend innocent of what they fear most. No one is safe 
and the men involved will stop at nothing to cover their tracks, tracks that will lead the pair into the dark world of child trafficking and expose the worst secrets of Point Road. So here's a clip from Chapter 8 of My Sister's Detective. What I'd like for you to pay attention to in this clip is how I portray female voices. Well, do you do a falsetto? How do you do it? You know, do you try to sound like this? No, you don't. You do it like I do it here, or at least I do it like I do it here. You can portray female voices any way you want to, but it's not, um, it's not the actor's job to try to sound like a female if he's male. It's to try to portray attitude, character, and act as if you were that person. But we're not trying to imitate. We're not, uh, we're not impressionists. So here you go. My Sister's Detective, Slater Mysteries, number one by T.J. Jones, narrated by me. Chapter 8 If there's one thing that defines the quintessential American dream for me, it's driving down the Florida coast in a convertible with the top down, the sun shining, and a beautiful woman beside you. In my teenage fantasies, I was driving and the woman was Maggie Jeffrey's sister, but this was pretty damn close. It was about as perfect as an aging ex-sailor turned private investigator could hope for. The funny thing was that I was beginning to think of myself as a detective. Not the chubby gumshoe a certain redhead had started calling me, more a worn but still serviceable version of the guys on television that always cracked the case without ever firing a shot. I even had the sometimes comical, sarcastic, good-looking sidekick. The fact that I had yet to solve anything at all didn't fit into the fantasy, but I was working on it. And the sidekick. What are you staring at, Slater? Do I have something on my face? Maggie moved the mirror and peered at her own reflection. Your face is about as perfect as it can get, I said. Have you been drinking or are you trying to soften me up for the motel tonight? I told you, no fooling around. I'm only here because I know you need help with your Spanish. Not just my Spanish. You're good at this detective stuff. You figured out Davy's little map thing like it was nothing. I'd have got it. I was close. She knew that was bull. Besides, I need more than just your mind. Some of these clubs are hard to get into. Looking like you do, we'll both be able to walk right in. I'm leaving you at the door, just to get even for the whole bicycle thing. You do realize I'm not obsessed with Angela. I'm over that. She looked over at me. I saw you staring at her when we were at your house. I stare at you all the time, too. It's a <laughs> guy thing. We're biologically programmed to look. If a guy doesn't stare at you or Angie, he's gay. I guarantee it. You really are a sexist ass. You know that? Biology, like I said. We drove along in silence for a while. Then I said what was on my mind. I hope what Davy was doing... <sighs> I hope it wasn't something too awful. Nothing good about dealing drugs, Slater. How much money did Davy have hidden away? You said a lot, but you weren't specific. Three million, give or take a few bucks. Wow, that is a lot, even for a drug dealer. Yeah, he must have been really good at it, or he was holding all that money for his boss. Maybe he was keeping it for the big boss that Angie talked about. If that was the case, it would kind of eliminate whoever that is as a suspect, right? Didn't you say Davy's parents were the only ones with access to that account? Hard to get your money back from Eddie and Edith. Unless Eddie was in on it. No way, Slater. Nobody's going to kill their own kid, not even for that kind of money. Maybe it was an accident, or maybe this boss of Davy's flipped. It's just a theory. I have a bunch of them. Maybe Davy got that money legitimately. 
Edith said he wouldn't take a dime from Eddie or her when he moved out. That was back when Eddie was still being a dick about Davy being gay. But Edith has said they were all right the last few years. She didn't tell me about the money at first. She said it was because it made Davy look like a drug dealer, but I wonder if she thinks maybe Eddie is involved somehow, too. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to think Davy didn't kill himself. Yeah, I know what you mean. Same time, it would have to have been someone who knew that old barn was out back of the house. True, probably not a random drug dealer from Dubai, she mused. Somebody he knew, because he told his mother about the meeting. Unfortunately, it was most likely somebody from the point. Where are we headed first? I think we should go to his old office, maybe just walk in cold. If we call ahead, they'll have a chance to think about it and give us a canned answer. It isn't likely they're going to tell us anything, but maybe if we surprise them, we'll get some honest reaction. I called Davy's roommate, and he said he would be home until early afternoon. He's got a few things he couldn't send to Edith, so maybe we'll get lucky. Long drive, but what a night. The sun was settling in the west, while off Maggie's left shoulder, a full moon was dragging itself out of the Atlantic. The water and the fading sunlight distorted the size and color, creating the illusion of a giant golden orb covering half the skyline. I was torn between staring at the moon and watching the soft shadows play across Maggie's cheekbones. She finally pulled her eyes away from the scene and glanced over at me. Beautiful, isn't it? It sure as hell is. I think she knew what I meant. The hotel was awkward. The two beds weren't very far apart, and neither was very big. As a joke, I suggested we push them together, but that didn't happen. I wore a pair of boxers to bed. I didn't make a spectacle of it, just slipped under the covers on my side of the room after pulling the rest of my clothes off. Maggie must have packed with the shared room in mine. She wore a pair of flannels that left everything to the imagination. It had been a long drive, and I was beat. Night, Maggie. Thanks for coming along. Beats being around Dad and Angie. I hate the way he treats her. Didn't work on you, I noticed. Angie always tries so hard to please him. I don't really get it. You two are very different, and I mean that as a compliment. And yet she is the one you're obsessed with. Jealous, or was that the hint? Not a hint, Slater. Go to sleep. She was only quiet for a moment. Slater? Yeah? You didn't deny it this time, about being obsessed with Angie. I rolled over and could see the trace of a smile on her face. Can't deny I was, but things change. I'd really like a normal relationship with someone that knows what they want. She was quiet again for half a minute. I thought I had that, but it went to hell. I wouldn't want to go through that again, not anytime soon. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, just so you know. <laughs> Is that a hint? She chuckled. I don't hint. I'm here when you're ready. I couldn't say it any plainer. Thanks, Slater. I'm glad I came down here with you. Good night. Yeah. Good night. We slept in the next morning, and by the time we had breakfast and both showered, it was ten o'clock. I dressed in my normal Florida attire, shorts, a golf shirt, and sandals. Maggie put in a little more effort. She wore shorts that were a hot orange color with short platform shoes and a tank top that tied in the front and accented her taut stomach and revealed plenty of cleavage. Maggie wasn't thin like her sister, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. All that training and working out had paid off. Her legs rippled with muscle when she walked across the room. I had to say something. 
Jesus, every guy in Miami is going to want to be me. Nice. Sexist again, Slater, she commented, but she was smiling and her cheeks colored. Screw being politically correct. You look crazy hot. Thank you. Unfortunate as it sometimes is, you attract more flies with honey. Actually, I think Angie told me that one time. She would know. Wrong thing to say. The smile disappeared. I covered as best I could. They opened at nine. We'd better get going. We took Maggie's car since Davy's office was close and parking looked feasible. The building looked better than what I'd seen online, as did the neighborhood. There were several businesses sharing the space. The main floor was occupied by a pawn shop and a bail bondsman, but there was a sign indicating that Miami Talent and Model Management was on the second floor. There was a small lobby of sorts, with an elevator and a set of stairs. Maggie ignored the elevator, and we climbed the stairs to a landing. A small sign indicated a lawyer's office on one side, and by default we opened the door with an opaque glass window that was across the hall. We walked in carefully, not completely sure we were in the right spot. A woman about Maggie's age sat behind a desk, snapping her gum and studying a computer screen. She glanced at us and pointed at a row of chairs along the wall. Be with you in a minute. Andy, I mean Mr. Gleason, is with a client right now. They had an appointment. She appraised Maggie top to bottom and smiled. He's got a meeting downtown, but he's going to want to talk to you. But we're not... Maggie started. I grabbed her elbow and steered her over to the chairs. After we sat down, I leaned in and whispered to her. She thinks you're looking for a gig. Just play along. The flies and honey thing. There were two offices in the small space, and Davy's name was still on the second door. The stenciling proclaimed he was the manager and head of talent acquisitions. Ten minutes later, the first door opened, and a red-headed boy in need of a front tooth and a comb burst out of the office. A disgruntled-looking woman steered him past us and out the door without saying a word. A squat, middle-aged man with a cheesy mustache and terrible pit stains stepped through the open door. He tipped his head in our direction. Susie? Walk-ins. Thought you'd probably want to talk to them. Mr. Gleason looked at us and, like Susie, gave Maggie the up and down, then walked across the room with his hand out. We both stood up and shook hands. He looked at her again, piece by piece, without any attempt at discretion. You're a very attractive girl, and very well proportioned. A little older than the girls we usually get in here, but some clients are looking for that. Mr. Slater, are you Maggie's representation? No, uh, she's my fiancé. Okay, again, if you'd like a code to the box set of the Slater Mysteries, shoot me an email, tomvoiceover at gmail.com. And if I have any codes left, I'll reply with one for you. And if I don't have any more for this particular box set, I'll have one for something else. So you might just be surprised at what you get. But um, tomvoiceover at gmail.com. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to checking in with you again on the next episode of the Tom VoiceOver Podcast.